This is RangerCast, episode 16, Hasbro Fanstream Toy Announcements, recorded on Sunday, April 23rd, 2023. In this episode, an unannounced Mighty Morphin Mall Tour, and a new chapter for Power Rangers Hyperforce. This is RangerCast, as in part one. I'm Tyler, better as usual, Volto. We've got Mike. Still here, haven't been rebooted yet. And Josh is still here. What's up, Pony? Volume two. And Lamar is still here. You guys are sticking around, so I'm going to stick around. And we are plowing into overtime with all the news that we could not fit into part one, as we talked about once and always. Uh, Power Rangers fans were eating well last week. On Monday, there was a Hasbro fan stream with a bunch of toy announcements. They uh, gave us a look at the Lightning Collection remaster releases of the Armored Red Ranger, Green Ranger without the armor, and the Pink Ranger. Now, the Green Ranger and... Pink Ranger both come with Jason, or excuse me, Tommy and Kim heads, respectively. Uh, the shield on the Red Ranger is removable, but the the figure doesn't come with a head at all. Um, Hasbro's excuse was that you can reenact the scene from the Green Candle where Jason has the shield and Tommy doesn't, or you can take pop off the shield and throw it on Kim like the comics. But, um... They're fucked. Yeah, that's that's a lame excuse. If we're I, I releasing the definitive versions of stuff, their reasonings are so. Oh, I, I this gets me. I'm not gonna even go. I'm just gonna say it's garbage. Garbage reasoning. Yeah, and and okay, like I get, like on one hand, from a PR public relations standpoint, I understand why they might not want to include a Jason head right now. But on the other hand, what the hell? Yeah, I mean that's that's the only explanation I can come up with. Yeah, is I, that, I think yeah. you know, um, Austin St. John. They're they're waiting it out to see kind of you know whether he's um, going to be cleared or not, and they'll probably do what they did with um, Rocky's Tonfas and just oh we'll include an extra Jason head in another scene. I don't know, maybe they'll do a re-release of Draken. So see, we've got Jason's head that Draken can hold up. I think it might be a strategy right now because in once and always they found archive audio uh, despite their well-known issues with uh, uh, the materials from the masters. They found archive audio of Jason Frank, Amy Jo Johnson and Twee Trang. But with the exception of one line of Tyrannosaurus, they, you know, the, ar- the archive grunts and what have well, there were none used of Austin St. John in the special. It was a sound like yeah, I noticed back that. in the day. And that stuck out to me. And I wonder if there is, uh, you know, an intentional strategy to avoid associating with him right now. Whether he's getting money or not. And that's hard because I can see that. Yeah. 
by that logic, we're probably never getting a, a Wild Force Red um, Lightning Collection figure. Or Ninja the Storm, problem, for that well, matter. I could see them doing Ninja Storm. I think it's more an issue of looking forward because of Austin St. John's legal problems being specifically financial. I wonder if they think that it because they would obviously have to pay royalties for using somebody's lines that they've recorded previously so they'll go to everybody else but i think that they may worry that come the end of the year uh, if austin for whatever reason you know should get arrested for tax evasion uh them having convicted yes mean convicted um they if in the future uh, austin should get convicted for tax evasion they do not want to have any tax records showing that they paid him royalties for something because then it could go back to them and that'll be more legal mumbo jumbo that they'll have to deal with and no company wants to go through more for taxes than they have to so that's probably the reasoning behind it i mean that's i guess you know you mention it because once and always was union um if they used anything substantial they you know from for example grid connection uh, they might have had to right. pay him, and they do not want to have Austin St. Right. John and on I'm their ledgers. On... Right yeah. So, yeah. and that's something I'm curious on in general. And I know it's different than football is, but in football, like when you're a player at your school, they do own your image of the plays and stuff because you're in the OU gear or in no, your sports NIL. teams gear. And everything. NIL is separate now. Right, but it's like, can they use your stuff from promotion? Well, yes, because you were playing for the team at that time, regardless of NIL type of deal. I kind of wonder if this is the same instance of, well, we can still use your stuff unless there was a contract sign while your time was on the show type of deal. That's something I would be very curious on, but I don't know right, what their yeah. legal stuff yeah, looks like. like. I'm, not, I'm not a lawyer or any of that, but it's like when – you know, when MMPR was made, that was all non-union. But in terms of union, using stuff that was made non-union in a union production, you know, it's complicated. I, I really just – I plead ignorance on that. Um, see, it, also in the fan stream, we got more Cobra Kai crossover figs, which whatever. And uh, they are re-releasing the black and gold – uh, Zap Megazord, but without the NFT. True crap. question. I've never known this. Do the black and gold because Megazords I'll... sell well? Do people want them? Ah. I, I mean, understand they keep making, making them. them. Do people want them? They do make it's them. A... Uh, well, I mean, if you ask Scott, uh, Scott Zillner over at Power Morphicon, they do. Oh, well, um, like the black and gold in Japan that's always like released, like associated with like the holiday season. And people here there's different meaning yeah right people here want them because they they look nice they look special that's why uh he had a, a bandai make a black and gold um megazord toy as an inclusive figure or super seven had the black and gold megazord and dragonzord um at uh, the most recent pmc yeah it's also just too, to say that you like it's it. a throwback Right, yeah. and it's also a throwback too to the original like run where I think the black and gold was a very rare product to get, so it's just paying homage to that. But yeah. don't quote me on that. <laughs> and uh, the uh, fan stream also included a mea culpa on all of Hasbro's quality control issues, as well as an uh, a page a link to 
reach out to if you are having issues with toys. They recently also announced um, that they were stepping back from their full cardboard box uh, display style and reintroducing the um, uh, the window so you can actually see you know what you're getting in the box. Yeah. I mean, that's great, honestly, that they did it. Um, one of the things that I noticed, though, was that they didn't say that they were working on it or that they're going to fix it. They just said, you know, we know we've made mistakes. Please call us if you get any mistakes. Um, I, I hope that this... It's a step in the right direction. I just... I, I have to admit, a lot of the quality control issues have really turned me off from this line. Um, and I've got two glass window cases full of lightning collection stuff. And uh, also, this uh, past weekend at Fayetteville Comic Con, uh, Scott Zillner was involved in this too. A um, event uh, remembering Jason David Frank. And Josh, you uh, watched a bit of it. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about what happened? Sure. So the the clear up did not attend the event. They had a special watched, option where yeah. if you. Yeah, you could purchase, like, essentially a pass to watch it on a live stream for it. They also had a special for it where Henshin um, Productions was doing a very special Dragon Zord uh, coin with, like, the Suicide um, Foundation on the other side. And, yes, I bought that coin. That's well worth the, the money going straight to the Suicide Helpline. Um, but uh, it was a great little live stream. They had a lot of um, – basically, it was a panel set up to pay tribute to JDF of not only what did he mean as a father to Jenna, what did he mean as a coworker to, like, Jason and Ciara, but also to what did he mean – to the fans what did he mean to the people and a lot of rangers were there already this weekend anyway from jason font hunter um i'm probably butchering her name dino dino um you uh dino barbara goodson walter jones blake foster there was a whole bunch and basically what they did was they talked about him for a little bit and then basically gave the mic to an actor um to talk about their stuff um like their experiences with him whether they experienced him on show um uh whether they were his co-worker like did they know him in another association like legend of the white dragon and then they would let the fans speak and it was about a nice little two and a half hour ish um panel essentially and bat in the sun was there and gave a lot of like background footage for some legend of the white dragon stuff coming up and then they kind of capped it off with a green candle that they lit as a very much a tribute to him of uh let, let's end it on a very positive note with it um, as well. I thought the green candle was a very, very, very touching aspect. And each of them had very personal stories with it because it ranged from like, oh, yeah, Walter's like, who's this guy doing all the hi-yahs and everything to uh, Kevin and Jeff going like, we didn't know he was supposed to even be on the show until he showed up one day. And um, one of the highlights was like Kevin. He played um, Ethan in Dino Thunder. And he said one of his very first interactions with JDF was, my man, I, I grew up watching you and I wore green uh, ranger uh, pajamas. He's like, well, thanks for making me feel old now, Ethan. And he's like, and that will stick with me forever. <laughs> but they all had great experiences. A lot of them opened up the stuff that they haven't talked about before. Um, and it was just a very, if you can, and I think it's on the website um, or just Google it. Um, for it. it's well worth the watch it's well worth hearing the stories and just 
how exceptional of a human being he was and just went above and beyond in everything that he did. We may all have our controversies with some of the, some of the stuff he did, but at the end it was just it was a very touching tribute and for what they did for it and how quickly they were able to assemble it, it's well worth a watch. Okay, thank you. Um try to include that in the show notes. Uh also uh, something wasn't included in the fan stream, but still, uh, Ranger Board, the uh, Ranger Board official Twitter noticed it. Is that there are 30th anniversary shirts now on Amazon? I liken this to the Team Common Rider shirts, where it's clear you order this and they will stamp this design on a shirt. Um, but there's shirts and tank tops and hoodies if you want, uh, stamped with the uh, 30th anniversary logo or a Green Ranger design, or a Red Ranger design, or one with the uh, MMPR team on it. Um, and uh, a couple others, but they're reasonably affordable. Like, you get a shirt for, like, 23 bucks plus tax and shipping if you're not on Prime. Um, and it's good to finally have some official uh, merch out in the wild for the anniversary. It's okay. I want a new shirt. Yeah. I mean, I'm I, going on a cruise soon. A tank top would be cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd probably uh, spring for one of these maybe next payday or something like that. Uh, it's good to know these are out there before the actual like date of the 30th anniversary. Uh, but you wonder if there's anything else besides Cosmic Fury that they have planned for the year to celebrate. Maybe something in August. Maybe, uh, but you can find the shirts uh, by searching Amazon for Power Rangers 30th Anniversary shirt, or we'll include a link to this search in our show notes if you can't be bothered to do that. And uh, there is actually something else going on for the 30th in Unannounced Mall Tour. Uh, our friend Mike Dent, who we had in the show some weeks back, uh, found the tour pop up at his mall. There, you know, the, the there are mighty morphin costumes there. There's activities and um, very very kid friendly. I'd liken it to something a band I did around the time of, uh, I believe, Operation Overdrive, where you know it's just people in suits and some giveaways and that sort of thing. Uh, it's very low key. There's not even a website for this tour. Uh, you know, if it's headed to you. Just like, you know, your mall's website might be the place to find out. There's your some kind website? of uh, do malls like, even have people, let alone websites anymore? What well, is a, a a a mall? Like, yeah, I it makes sense because they want to go to a mall. Like, I get it. It's retro. It's '90s. It's fine, but it just seems like a yeah. baffling decision. It's called yeah. It's called the Power Up Tour, oh, and in Mike's case in Milwaukee, uh, there were tickets being offered for a post-show meet-and-greet with these costumed rangers. Uh, it was free to go standby, or you know, $11 for VIP with blue and yellow only. Again, it's very, it's all very vague, and I, like, he put up a video about, um, about his visit to the tour stop that we're going to link to in our show notes, but you wish that they would actually like, you know, if they're going to do something, you know, announce it. Uh, 
but it reminded me of um, a time that Hasbro tried to resurrect Saban's idea of having a live show tour, and those plans quickly just sputtered away, didn't actually uh, manifest into anything. The entire thing kind of sounds like a tax write-off to me. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the purchase of E1 certainly turned out to be a tax write-off for Hasbro. Uh, they're actually making progress towards selling Entertainment One. And uh, we learned this week from Deadline that the wheels are definitely turning on that. According to Deadline, Lionsgate and Legendary are still in the running to acquire a majority stake in the studio. And there are other suitors, including CBC Capital Partners and distributor Go, Me Go Digital Media Group. Fremantle was among the bidders, but pulled out once the um, the sticker price soared. Now, it says Lionsgate Legendary would acquire a majority stake. That's the idea, and maybe not all of it. So maybe Hasbro will keep some the way they still maintain a uh, minority stake in Discovery Family. Uh, there's a lot that we don't know about how this deal would work because E1 is, especially after they rolled AllSpark Studios into Entertainment One, they're producing a lot of stuff based on Hasbro IP like Power Rangers, um, but also Peppa Pig, which isn't for sale and all the other uh, things in their family brands division. So we don't know what kind of arrangements will be reached when E1 is sold to facilitate the, the continued production of Power Rangers and all these other shows. Uh, Hasbro bought E1 in 2019 for $4 billion. They sold off the music business for $385 million, which include Death Row Records and a lot of things Hasbro had no interest in keeping. But it's part of this strategy under Chris Cox to refocus on things that will sell toys and distributing movies like The Woman King don't sell, doesn't sell toys. Honor Among Thieves does. Right, yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to how they're they're so already tied into you know other things Hasbro's doing, but they're also not Hasbro's core business. Yeah, I I hold the very, very, very firm belief that E One was going to be their major publisher, and when the pandemic hit, all those plans just completely changed. And I know a lot of people don't like the Illuminati, but I fully believe that Hasbro was going to basically do their own thing with E1 and call it quits with Toei, and then all those plans changed. Again, rehashing what I said, all the plans changed with Pandemic, and they just don't see the financial I, viability of E1. I think the bigger thing is buying Power Rangers and buying Entertainment One were part of Brian Golter's strategy. And he's not around anymore. Correct. I think uh, it's like the – I feel like their their strategies for some stuff just did not come to fruition um, for it because of how much, like, reorganization. Like, we're in the – ten at, around that time they bought E1, that was also about the 10-year um, soft relaunch of many properties such as Transformers and My Little Pony. 
Power Rangers was kind of in that. And I think they're kind of in the Disney part of we have too much. We need to now kind of prioritize who we want at the forefront and who do we not at this point. Luckily, Power Rangers seems like it's at the forefront, but who, how long that will last, I don't know. And uh, Cox, however this shakes out, said in February that he expects to have an update sometime in the second quarter. Uh, and the second quarter just began a couple weeks ago. And moving on, um, Power Rangers Hyperforce is back after about five, six years in the wilderness. We are getting a one shot written by Misty Flores and Hyperforce Pink herself, Megan Camarena. And this is great for, for Melissa Flores because she helped oversee hyperforce back in the day when she was working at saban and now she gets to write this continuation of the story that fans have been clamoring for for ages uh getting a one shot this is uh, an exclusive from screen rant uh that will hit comic book store shelves on july 19th in addition to being co-written by megan camarina uh she'll they'll be joined by artist federico sabatini Colorist Brian Valenza. There will be cover art by Kayla Valerio, excuse me, Kayla Valerio, who did the cover for Power Rangers Unlimited, The Death Ranger. And there will be variants by uh, fan favorites Goni Montez and Inhyuk Lee. The, <clears throat> excuse me, the story will follow the Hyperforce team as they scour the multiverse after Mistress Vile, formerly known as Rudol Pulsa, and Dark Spectre invade the, mor- the Morphing Grid. Yeah, Excuse me. The comic will follow the Hyperforce team as they scour the multiverse for allies after Mistress Vile, formerly Rita Repulsa, and Dark Spectre invade the multigrid, and the Hyperforce Rangers will be pushed their limits as the villain's dark as the villain's dark contagion spreads. And it is just so great to it's vindication for fans who wanted Hyperforce back after all this time. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it's it's funny that the once and always trailer, everyone was freaking out that the symbol of Hyperforce was on the command center, only for it to literally, like, not at all be relevant. It's probably not even connected. Um, just keep in mind with this comic, as it, it looks like there's some more info coming out, this is going to be tied to the next story arc of the comics. It's not going to be based off of the like the RPG stuff. It's not a season two. This is just more what is happening with Mistress Vile and Dark Spectre. Yeah, absolutely. And the variant art uh, from Inhuic Lee has Alpha 55 and Hyperforce Pink on it. Uh, it, it just looks fantastic, and I, I cannot wait. It looks great. Yeah, I mean, I gotta be honest, I am so behind on the comics, but I'm definitely excited to uh, jump back into them very soon. And when I posted about this on the subreddit, there were actually people who said they were working through Hyperforce right now just happened to be like on YouTube going through. I mean, I really admire that because each of those episodes is really, really long, like three hours or so, if I recall. And like so much of the fun of Hyperforce was being, you know, in the room, so to speak, contributing to Super Rolls and watching it happen live. Um, 
and it'll be interesting to see how the story unfolds in a setting where it's not interactive like that. I think it will be fine. Yeah, it's really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And we've also got a little bit of Tokusatsu news uh, this time before we head out. Um, Shin Kamen Rider, we do have details on when it'll be hitting theaters. It'll be screening on May 31st. Uh, tickets are available on the Fathom Events site, or you can look up when screenings are near you on Fandango. I already got my ticket for the Cinemark near me, and uh, I was like one of the first people to buy tickets uh, for that particular screening. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be really theaters exciting. on a Wednesday. I mean, you yeah. get what you can get. I, I think I want to say Shin Godzilla was on a weird day of the week too, or excuse me, Shin Ultraman. Did the Shin movies typically do well? And uh, the, I don't. I mean, I I think Shin Ultraman did pretty well, if I recall correctly. I think we did something uh, on that a while ago. Uh, I don't know. Can't really take a guess on how Shin Kamen Rider will do, because, like, whereas Ultraman is on Netflix, like you know the anime is on Netflix and it's very accessible here. Kamen Rider is not so much accessible here. But uh, speaking of Ultraman, we also got an Ultraman announcement from a uh, Tsuburaya. Ultraman Blazar. Uh, is uh, coming soon. There will be a simultaneous uh, English subtitled and dub release. This uh, new series, which uh, begins July 8th, takes place in a world where kaiju attacks on Earth are commonplace. A global guardian force, GGF, has been assembled to protect the people with the elite group Special Kaiju Reaction Detachment, or SCARD, on call to fight the monsters. That this is from sure sounds like Ultraman. The yeah, I know. The captain of this new scarred is Gento Hiruma, an outgoing young man eager to protect his wife and young son. And with the power of the Blazar Stone Blazer Brace, he becomes the giant of light, Ultraman Blazar. Gento is played by veteran tokusatsu actor Tomiya Warabino, who uh, also played Hart in Kamen Rider Drive. And you can find a link to the trailer again on RagerCast.net. Now, because we wrote the show notes for what has become now two episodes. Uh, one last thing before we go, uh, kind of informed by what we talked about in the first part. Uh, now, the way y'all see it, we've had a bunch of anniversary episodes, Forever Red, uh, Dimensions in Danger, Once a Ranger, now Once and Always. Where do you think... Uh, where do you feel once and always ranks among anniversary episodes? Honestly, I'd say just the fact that they kind of allowed the show to grow up with its cast for maybe the first time in a long time. Um, I'd say it's in the top five, if not the top. Well, there have been five. Faint praise. Oh, well, yeah. So my 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 point stands. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the top five there's only been five. Oh, that's big brain mode can't go below five if there's only five oh, exactly. I, th I think mike would be inclined oh, yeah, to agree it's in the top, top five, five material. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, now, my opinion is that it's the best, uh, just because it it allows the characters to age with the the uh, the viewers. But yeah, Josh, I uh, I'm gonna mirror what I said in the first part. I have it at a firm number two. Forever Red to me is still the top one, just because of the circumstances around it. Time, tone, place, everything. Yes, the ending's garbage with the Wild Force Rider. I still hold the firm belief that's just proto Serpentura and not the real one, but it's a firm number two because I also agree that letting it grow up, letting us tell an adult story, which we know Saban was very much against, uh, but when he had the license, and just making it a very personal story. It's hard to beat that, and... Walter and David just, man, they make that special just shine. I'd have Dimensions in Danger at number three. Um, and what was the other two? One to Ranger, and what was the other one? Legendary Battle. Um, yeah, Legendary oh, Battle. Oh, Legendary, Legendary Battle's last. Uh, one to Ranger, fourth. It's like I think of uh, uh, the old Deadspin, now Defector. Whenever they're doing rankings, um, the last thing is always preceded by getting hit by a bus. Yep, that's about right here. And then Legendary Battle. Yep. Or in our case, having a headache, and then Legendary Battle. I'll take yeah. one of Reed's headaches over that before Legendary Battle. Really, Mike, how about trying you? to set me up because he keeps equating um, once and always with firm number two, which is a comparison that I often give myself between those two things. I often call once and always a firm number two, but then probably not the way you're thinking. Um, <laughs> um, That's funny. As someone who is just tired of anniversary specials, I don't like, uh, for lack of a better term, the self-folating nature of them all. Like, I want to watch the show. I don't want to watch the show celebrate itself. I can celebrate on my own, thank you very much. I don't need you to tell me how to feel happy when I'm watching a show that I like. Um, I, I guess I would put it firmly in the middle of the five. Uh, Legendary Battle is not awful and rushed and ridiculous. Uh, Dimensions in Danger is the Tommy show, which is fine for what it is, but it's not Power Rangers. It's celebrating one person. Uh, Once and Always, kind of the same in a way. Like, it, it's celebrating one person. The circumstances are different. But I feel like a lot of what Power Rangers is, teamwork, um, interpersonal relationships, it understandably was more focused on Trini and Min. But in a, like it was necessary, but I don't – it didn't feel very Power Rangers to me. I don't know if it's something I can – watch as regularly as pleasure than I can something like Once a Ranger or Forever Red. I'm in very much in the minority opinion that I have Once a Ranger as the best of the five because not only is it a fun way to get past actors back, not only does it treat the returning cast with respect, it works as a continuity in its own story. It continues the narrative of Overdrive more. Now, 
the quality of that narrative is notwithstanding. That's another discussion for another day. But it does continue what Overdrive set out to do, and it can stand as part of that season in addition to being its own thing. Whereas, especially with Once and Always, I feel like they're like these little pockets of nostalgia and uh it doesn't really work as teamwork if you will with the other episodes so i guess i would put once and always at uh a number three ranking out of five i think one of our issues one of my issues excuse me with dimensions in danger was that with a couple exceptions, the returning rangers could have been anybody. Oh, you mean like Rocky and Cat in this? And <laughs> let me finish. I think that something that once a ranger did do well is that you know these rangers are given lines that could only have been theirs, and. I think that what we got for this anniversary wasn't, you know, just like these Rangers dropping in on the Dino Furies. It wasn't, you know, a cameo. We got essentially an episode of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Uh, But we also got closure and catharsis. And the possibility of something after this involving Min, Billy, Adam, Aisha. And I think that for both not for both for both the actors and the characters, I think I think the special did right by them. And I think that it's something that I do personally plan to revisit in the future. And I think that for the show as a whole, it was the kind of cultural moment Power Rangers hasn't had in years. And I think for a lot of reasons... once and always will age pretty well. So I think that it, that for those reasons, it claims my personal top spot, despite, you know, despite its flaws. So um, that's going to be it from us for this episode. Uh, We will see y'all in a couple weeks. Have a great one. Bye. If you like what you just heard, find us at rangercast.net or look us up in your favorite podcast app. Reach out to us on Twitter or leave a voicemail on our website. The opening theme is by Daniel Park. The ending theme is by me. Rangercast is distributed under Creative Commons license. A tribute and share alike. Rangercast.